Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. We are doing our previews. Uh, MWR.com is our website where you can find everything. And we are now down. I'm Jeremy here with Matt, as always. Uh, two teams off, Matt. San Jose State. And we're basically, uh, are we two Saturdays away from recording a football? Is that correct? Yeah, we are, we are recording close? this on August 14th. So two weeks from today, we will probably be recording, if we haven't already, our first recap episode uh that would be our uh our week zero recap i think exactly two weeks from now give or take oh boy yeah we got this preview san jose state we're doing uh new mexico as our final one correct yes <laughs> i'm trying to remember and then we'll have our mega giant preview which will be some fun and one of us probably may or may not change our picks because one of us does that you stick to it through all the through the week what we do but through the off season but we're talking san jose state today we'll have a couple things coming up top 50 list going strong all the non-conference previews, Matt's doing a great job on those. We've got a couple of new guys coming on. So we are basically here. We're talking about San Jose, San Jose State, who uh, is the best way to put it. Is, was last year, I'll tell, let me ask you this, Matt, because you're the, you're the Spartan believer of the, of the group, I'm assuming, or more so than me. Was, mm-hmm. was last year a speed bump or was 2020 like a, a real deal? Because they went undefeated in league play, lost only in their bowl game in 2020, Last year they stumbled and weren't. I didn't even go to the bowl game. weren't that great last year. So are they somewhere in between, or what do you kind of? What's your past couple of years? Because remember, years ago people wanted to Spartan out of the conference. So I know that it's tempting to think of 2020 as sort of flash in the pan, but what I always point to, you know, going back to two years ago, real quick, is you know, none of their victories were flukes. You know, I like to remind people that every single one of the games that they won was by at least 10 points, which is not an easy thing to do. You know, sometimes if you compare that to, you know, some teams that have you know, that benefit from some close luck fortune. And I think, you know, if, if you followed the Mac at all last year, you probably remember Nor- uh, Northern Illinois winning something like seven or eight games by, by one score and sort of having that that cardiac attitude about them, that wasn't the case in 2020 for San Jose State. And so, you know, what I the way I sort of look at 2021 as an extension to that is obviously it wasn't the title defense that anybody within that program hoped for, but it wasn't really that you know one catastrophic thing went wrong. It wasn't like it was same old kind of San Jose State. It was really just a sort of a I mean, it, it may sound boring, but it was sort of a confluence of, of regression to the mean in some respects and some key injuries that, that played a role. Um, typically quarterback was a big one with Josh. Yeah, Rowe. and 
know, because they were still, uh, you know, 85th overall by SP plus at the end of the season. Um, it, you know, most of the reason they were that low was because the offense really struggled. So when I mentioned injuries, of course, Nick Starkle was sort of the, the big one. You know, he missed about half the season uh, with an arm injury and you know, they didn't really have a replacement for him. Um, but you could also say like they were four and two in, in games decided by eight or fewer points. And so maybe it could, a little, it could have been a little bit worse. You know, one thing you can definitely point to that could have been a little bit better is the fact that they were dead last in the conference in turnover margin, minus 12 overall. But if you're sort of looking for a way to sort of turn that chapter from last year into this fall, you know, the story of their offseason was they didn't sit around and, and sort of wait for a rebound to come to them. They went and got pieces um, you know, from within the conference, you know, in some respects from outside of it and others, but to sort of reload with a, with a vengeance, I might say, you know, they use the transfer portal, they've continued to recruit, you know, fairly well. And so while they're definitely missing, you know, some, some crucial pieces from that 2020 championship team, there is still enough around and there is enough coming up that while they're probably not like at the top of anybody's list of contenders this year. Like if things go the way they envision, like it's not inconceivable that they could be in the championship game again when, when December comes around. Yeah. They're t- like, but the hierarchy is clearly San Diego States and Fresno state Spartans <laughs> uh, did not to give anything away, but I don't, I don't have them above them, but there's, you're right. There's a chance where, if things go right with guys like Shavon Cordero coming in from Hawaii, if Cade Hall and these guys on the defense side of the ball go back to their kind of in 2020, where they were literally like one of the best defense in the conference, we're just crushing everybody. Fajoko back there, who you love, <laughs> the Spartans, they have, there's a chance I'd not put in there, but it would not be overly surprising if they were to be in the title game or splits. But they got the problem is they got Fresno and San Diego State on the road, both those and Utah State. And at Wyoming, so their non their conference schedule is not. It's pretty difficult, but talent wise, yeah. it would not be overly surprising. It'd be a, I'd say, yeah, a mild surprise to get to the title game. But if they get there, they'd totally earn it for their their road schedule. Might be the toughest in the conference at Wyoming, at Fresno. Yeah, they got New Mexico on the road, but then at San Diego State, at Utah State, three teams with double digit wins last year on the road. Like, good luck. This year is going yeah, to be very like, difficult. I guess, so. I guess it was sort of a long-winded way of saying, like, on paper going into the season, you might think of them as, like, the fifth or sixth best team in the Mountain West. But the gulf between them and the teams that you might consider to be ahead of them may not be as drastic as you might as, as you would suspect. That's sort of no, what I'm saying overall. No, I'm getting to They're pretty close. Yeah, I, you know, if you look at the total all, like, I think they're better than Wyoming a little bit. Air Force is in the same neighborhood as them. Utah State's are... Like, yeah, the only team I would – like, again, I'm, I love Fresno State, what they're going to do. Them and San Diego State are probably the two best by far in the conference. But, like, compared to San Jose State to Boise State, that's – no, I, I'd put Broncos head by a little bit, but you're right, it's not that far. And even Fresno and San Diego State, if if either of those guys, like Aztecs, like they lose their quarterback or the guy from Virginia Tech is not that good, they they have a lot of, a lot of pieces coming back – or, excuse me, replacing a lot of pieces from last year. So – they're going to be up there. Like they might be, it might be the fifth or sixth best team, but they're, you're right. It's very close between the, whoever wins either division. It's what's going to make this whole year exciting. We're kind of veering off into our, our giant preview, but 
they're going to they're, if they return if they're if they're closer to clearly if they're closer to 2020 than last year they're going to be great but I, I think that's where they're at like if they if they're if you tell me this isn't my record but they're 10 and 2 that wouldn't be over surprising i'm probably putting them at least eight wins they're in that category about eight wins but their schedule makes it just it's going to be tough for them to get there because mm-hmm. they also have Auburn on the road western michigan they do get at home it's going to be a it's going to be they're they're again they're going to earn everything they get this year Exactly, and the record. If if somehow their record, I know I, Jerry Palm and CBS put their bowl projections out recently. I, I did a quick piece on it. He's Palm's one of the few that has the Spartans in a bowl game. If they don't go to a bowl game, I don't. Yeah, the record wise, it might be disappointing. But if they're losing to Aztecs, Aggies, and Bulldogs on the road by a combined like fourteen points, and they end up going five and seven because those three losses are that close, it's hard to say that's a bad season. Based on if that if they're winning these other games and are close in those games and they're all losses, so we'll see. Yeah. So when we get to trans, I'll ask you a quick question before you get going. So Brett okay. Brennan, head coach. I know this is we're kind of veering off here, but this is always fun to think about it. So remember when he was considered for the Arizona job a couple <laughs> years ago? Do you think at this moment in time he made the right choice to stay at San Jose State compared to going to uh, the Wildcats program, which? Under Jed Fish as well, year one, not doing great. I think so, because, and, and I think it's a combination of what's happening both on the field and off the field. You know, of course, you know, everybody, everybody likes to make the jokes whenever San Jose State is on a broadcast over the last year or so about you know, all the construction that's going on over there. Um, with their, I believe it's their performance center. I, I can't remember exactly what it's called. But like they're investing a lot of money. I think it's like a hundred million dollars or something like that to, to upgrade the stadium, upgrade their facilities, and you know, really lay the groundwork for sort of a long-term plan to keep the you know, keep the program viable and keep it successful. Mm-hmm. And on the field, you know, I think you especially if you compare this year's, you know, Wildcats roster to this year's Spartans roster, like the foundation in San Jose is still pretty sound. Like you know, of course, Nick Starkle's moved on. Jack Snyder's moved on. You know, some other pieces of, you know, Derek Deese has moved on. But there's still a lot there. And I think, you know, I think the trick now that, you know, relative to years past is, you know, now that we know for sure that this is completely like his team, like his program, his recruits and everything like that. Yep. And now the trick is, okay, you're losing a lot of like long time experienced pieces, you know, uh, with Starkle maybe being the exception. So how are your, how are your prospects, your recruits, your players, how are they going to step up into those roles to keep this thing rolling? And I think that is sort of the primary question that is is really going to set the tone for this particular season, because you're going to see it now more than you have in the last couple of years. Let's start at quarterback because, again, like you mentioned last year, the Nick Starkle injuries didn't play very much. Nick Nash played quarterback. They bring in Shavon Cordero from Hawaii, who mm-hmm. experience-wise is one of the most experienced guys in the conference. He has more starts than Logan Bonner. He has more – like outside of – like him and Jay Kaner might have a comparable amount of starts. I think Kaner has more. But outside of Hainer and Bachmeyer and maybe has Zeke Daniels, he's up there in the most experienced quarterbacks in the conference. That, I mean, you forget, like he was, he was, he saw the field in four games in 2018. Well, Cole McDonald was there. So yeah. I think I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he's more experienced than all those guys you just mentioned. Outside of, okay, outside of Bachmar, I'm guessing definitely for sure. That's like the only mm-hmm. gets since he's been a fifth year starter. So he's number two or three. Hayner's the only guy I can think to be 
close because he started what two seasons? I guess. Well, well yeah, you know, he has started. So yeah, he, his experience is there. Sorry, rambling a bit, but he played like in Hawaii when who was uh, Rolovich and then and um, oh, geez, Todd Graham. Like he came in with Cole McDonald. Like Cole McDonald got benched a couple of times for him to come in. Like oh, exactly. he's that, that good. So we know what he can do. And the Spartans' offense isn't that much different in wanting to sling the ball and pass it. And he'll have guys like Elijah Cooks coming from Nevada is a pretty big deal. They have uh, let's see, Justin Lockhart as well. They still have Isaiah Helmutson on the team, who despite kind of being underachieving, they're deep at that position. And if Cordier, with his experience in the West Division, his experience in the conference, I like he. We kind of say they're a dark. Essentially, we're saying they're a dark horse team in the conference. If things go like a hundred percent, like in twenty twenty, this might be outlandish, but. Why can't he be player of the year if San Jose State does win the conference? Like, I think his talent-wise is that good, and he won't be looking over his shoulder half the time because even when Brandon Schrager's here at Hawaii, he wasn't necessarily entrenched as a starter. He got kind of hurt and pulled around a little bit to not be the guy. And if Brent Brandon thinks you're a guy no matter what, that confidence goes a long way to realizing, okay, if I kind of screw up here or have a bad series or two, I'm not going to get benched for QB2 behind me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he really is one of the bigger X factors anywhere in the Mountain West this year. And and there's there's a couple of different reasons for that, you know. And I think maybe the biggest one is throughout the course of actually, I would say, I'm, I'm going to break this down into two parts. So the first thing that I always think about with Shavon Cordero is like when it comes to accuracy, he's always been a little bit up and down. Where you know his career completion rate, you know, going back to 2018 is 58.6%, which, you know, it's, it's not great, but it's not bad. Um, but you know, that percentage has basically gone up and down every single year. Like in his, in those first four games I mentioned back in 2018, it was 61.2%. You know, the year after that, when he saw a little more playing time, only 120 attempts in 2019. Um, but that completion rate fell to 57.5 the following year when he was more or less the starter uh, in 2020, it was 62.3. And then last year, it was actually a career low where it was only 55.2. So I, I say all of that to say that that was really one of the things that fell off for the, uh, for, for the Spartans last year. You know, when Starkle was in command and when they were on their way to that championship game, you know, two years ago, you know, as a team, their completion rate was 63.5%. Without looking, do you know where it was last year? Or better than that by a little bit? No, it has to be no. It was it was it was fifty one point five. Why would I say it's better? What am I thinking? Come on. <laughs> the, the only team in the conference with a worse completion rate as a team was Air Force, and of course, Air Force isn't necessarily known for doing much more passing than those, you know taking those fifty fifty shots down the field. So. I would say right away, you're talking about at least some regression to the mean in a positive way. But the trick is, how much is there going to be? And that's something that we can't really, I mean, we can guesstimate, but we won't really know for sure until they take the field and we find out. By contrast, the other thing that could definitely improve is the yards per attempt that they averaged over the last couple of years. Because Two years ago, again, you talked during their title run, it was 8.3 yards per attempt, which was second best in the conference. Last year, it was only 6.6, which was 10th overall in the Mountain West. 
Okay. And with that in mind, I think the other thing that's worth noting is like, even if the completion rate has gone up and down, Cordero has actually been pretty adept throughout his career at generating explosive plays. Like, you know, in three of his four years, uh, including last year in, in, in 11 games, his yards per attempt has been between 7.6 and 7.9. So I look at that as being sort of a positive indicator that if he can come in and take advantage of the weapons around him, then that's right there is probably a step or two back in the direction that San Jose State wants to go, or at least, you know, a step or two back um, t- toward recovering what they were missing in last year's offense in particular. And then yeah, on top of that, you add to the, like, he's run for over, he ran for over a thousand yards in his career at Hawaii. It, it wasn't like he was being asked to to run a lot of designed plays. Uh, you know, his I think his without adjusting for sacks, his his career per carry average is only three point seven yards. But that's all to say that you know he's not a, a zero in that regard. So like if he needs to scramble and extend plays and get the and push the ball down the field to his wide receivers, he has the capacity to do that. To and, and so I wonder if that can sort of free the Spartans' offense from that sort of timing based quick throws kind of offense that we saw most primarily with Starkle, whether they might be able to diversify since Cordero has a little bit of different skill set. That's the one. Yeah. He does a little bit. I also wonder how much Nick Nash is going to play. Cause remember he's the change of pace guy, but if Cordero could run enough, like, do you want to do that? So they have a capable backup where he played enough last year. Obviously wasn't great, but that might well, that, be. A, okay. So that's a, that's another thing that I wonder about though. How much are you going to use? Because I think I think we got enough evidence now that Nash in particular might be stretched as a starter. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. But he may come so in for four, four to six plays a game, possibly like these when they had uh, McStarkle. Yeah, but I think you know, I think the, the the ideal scenario for San Jose State is that they keep Cordero healthy all year long and and they enable Nash to go back to that sort of you know, change up type role rather than, you know, being uh, pushed onto the field uh, because of injuries, things like that. So that's, he's, I guess the good thing is, even though he's not great, he's played enough where, yeah, but he's not a green guy, but it's also not, he's not your ideal option for QB too, but he's there and he's done enough to make things work, I guess. And behind that, mm-hmm. they just have some inexperienced freshmen, redshirt freshman guys who I don't even want to hear the names of like, Natana Woods or Walker Egan this year at all, <laughs> unless it's like a 60 to 10 blowout in their FCS game versus Portland State week one. Yeah, I mean, I think they were probably pushed onto the field a little too early just by circumstance. Yeah, that's what I want to see. But I think their QB situations, it's their depth is good. Starter has experience. It's just a new. That's the only concern about how quick they'll pick it up, but they're in a good spot. If he can get back to about 60, just about 60%. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Adidas. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They'll be good. And also, let's just go to the receiving group because they bring back Isaiah Hamilton, who's been fine. He has never been like, he's never gotten to be just that guy. But I wonder what bringing in the guys from Nevada, Elijah Cooks and Lockhart, that potentially that trio, it's, again, new system for two of the three guys, that those starting lineup would be comparable to most teams in the Mountain West Conference or in the same neighborhood. And so that's where this is going to be one of their strengths. The offense is going to be really good, I think, this year. With those three guys, it's just timing and getting used to your t- new teammates. Both All these guys have new systems, new quarterbacks thrown their way. But what Lockhart and those guys didn't, Cooks, I know Cooks has been injured off and on his career in Nevada, but he's a guy where if he's fully healthy, like remember, he was, he was better than Romeo Dubs until he got hurt the whole year. And Dubs broke out and had like a million 50-yard receptions. And so if he's healthy and can be back at that level and even better for just moving forward and playing college football, that could be that could be a really one of the biggest transfer gaps in the conference. Maybe, but I mean, with with Cooks in particular, it's it's two straight years where he's missed substantial amounts of time, and I think you know one of those years were, was an ACL injury, and so it's not like it's it's sort of those soft tissue injuries that linger. It's like it's it's those really tough breaks that are off that can sometimes take time to come back from. And so, you know, you, I mean, it's, it's tempting to look back at like for, for instance, his 2019 season in particular, when he had 926 yards, eight touchdowns, and was basically like the number one guy in a whole pack offense. He was top, top 10 receiver in the conference. So yeah, I'm behind a trio of white guys. So yeah, it's, uh... but I don't know, like if you necessarily want him to have to be the guy. I'm not saying be the guy. I think he could be the potential, the talents there, just the health wise. Because I think when you compare him to someone like Hamilton, I think the difference between the two is that Hamilton, and I think last year you can include this in there, he's never really had the chance to be the guy. Because you know, two years ago he was working, you know, behind or with you know, Bailey Gaither and Trey Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, last year the number one target far and away was was Derek Deese most weeks, and so. It's not to say like he's been ineffective. I think he's actually been for the role that he has played over the last couple of years pretty good on the whole. Like he's he's got a career average of over, over 15 yards of catch. He has, you know, eight, like if you take his career stats and, and think of them like a single season, in three years, he has 87 catches, 1,338 yards, and, and, and eight touchdowns. That's pretty good, all things considered, for being sort of like a a second or third option. And, yeah. and like even we, if he continues the, in that USC role, I think. Year. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, if he, even if he continues in that role, I think he's likely to still continue to be, be pretty good at it. I think okay. for me, the more. Int- guy, so 15 yards of catch. For me, the more interesting guy is Justin Lockhart. Why is that? Because, you know, well, because compared to cooks who has been sort of the number one guy in the past, but has a, uh, you know, an injury history that might still be like a yellow flag at least. And and uh, Hamilton, who's been for the majority of his career, sort of that second or third option. You know, Lockhart 
in the two years that he contributed to Nevada was really sort of like, he wasn't even the second or third guy. He was typically like the, the fourth guy in that option or in that 35, offense. 35 catches last year. Yeah. So like over the last two years, he basically has something like 60 catches, about 700 yards and four touchdowns. I'm really interested to see what he can do. Like when, when he, when he's out there and they're running out, you know, 11 personnel with three wide receivers, I have to think like the first three receivers on the field are going to be those three guys, Hamilton, Cooks and Lockhart. So I'm very curious to see what he can do with more work, with more targets coming his way. Because I think we've seen enough, especially last year where he upped his, his yards per catch average from, from 8.9 to 13.4 that he's got a little bit of ability to stretch the field. Yeah. And but I mean, but even, even behind them, well, well I was, I was going to mention him in a moment, but it, like even okay. behind that trio, they've still got like other, lots of other interesting guys who could contribute to make it, make it more of an offense that you know, may not have a thousand yard receiver, but they might have like five or six or seven guys that catch somewhere between 20 and 50 passes. And I'm, and I'm talking about guys like, you know, for example, Jermaine Braddock who, you know, 27 catches last year, 390 yards and two touchdowns. You know, a guy like Charles Ross, who I'm, I'm particularly interested in seeing sort of what he can do with a larger role, only played nine games last year, but he had 25 catches, 305 yards and two touchdowns. And or a guy like Malachi Miller, who, again, only 10 games, only nine catches, but he averaged 22 yards catch and he had a couple scores. So, you know, it's, it's easy to focus on the guys at the top, but it might actually be those, you know, those, those next guys in, on the two deep that really put this offense over the top because then you can just keep throwing different looks out there, um, at, you know, at defenses and really stress them with, you know, three, four, five wide receivers and, you know, really operate the offense how you want to with that many weapons. Yeah. And when you look at, I'm trying to look back at how much they throw 20, it, I'm going per game, not total. Like in 2020, when they had Nick Starkle, 36 passes per game. Last year's a bit different just because they had different QB in their own. They're still at 33. When we go back to like 2019, they're throwing 41 times per game. 2018, mm-hmm. they're throwing 37 times per game. I know we're going over multiple coaches there, but the opportunities are going to be there. If you're throwing 32 yeah. times a game, like attempts per game, that's going to be, you know what I mean? Like, that's what you want to do. And if they get that completion percentage up a little bit, like well above that 51 from last year, get them to 57, which is a maybe so, possibility. So with possibility. that in mind, like the most recent stat I was able to find with that was, um, you know, Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter. You know, last year he put out these advanced stats preview for every single game. And so like, I don't have the figure for after the season finale against Fresno State, but going into that game, what I can tell you is that their early down rush rate was 52%. So on at least on first and second down, they were running more often than they were throwing. And I wonder if that was by circumstance and how that compares to what they did in 2020. Oh, it had to be when you have Nick, Nar- Nick, or excuse me, Nick Nash back there. You know, it's totally what that is for how much is he ran. And he went, we saw him. He wasn't the throwing quarterback. Their pass per game was less last year than it has been in like multiple years. And so it was clearly, here's who you have. Even though they still threw it 33 times a game last year. That's still about four to seven less, but yeah. I, I, and we'll see what it does with Cordero, with Cordero there, but like you said, not necessarily design runs, but more scrambled. But I think that might change to a little bit less running, despite them having experience from Kyrie Robertson backward in the ball. Yeah. And then you, you, then you also mentioned the tight end position too, which 
historically yeah. under Brennan has been featured like sort of a, a main component of the San Jose State offense. You know, even before, you know, Deese Jr., for instance, there was Josh Oliver, mm-hmm. who was a big time receiver for them. And, you know, now and then he was an NFL draft pick you know, a handful of years ago. And so you look at that and you're like, you know, and again, it's easy to focus on the guys coming in, but the guys who are coming up, especially at the tight end position, you know, you look at Dominic Mazzotti and Sam Olson, the latter of whom was a, a you know, recently named to the Mackey War watch list. And I'm really interested to see how those guys step up. You know, Olson really only saw playing time in two games last year, but, you know, I don't know if you remember the big catch and run he had against Southern Utah in that, in that opener. I believe it was like a 70-yard catch and run. Yeah, you, you look at that, and you look at the fact that Mazzotti, even though he only had eight catches, averaged almost 17 yards per reception. Like, to me, that's sort of a big deal. Like, that's exactly what this offense strives to do. Is, you know, they're not afraid to put big targets out there between the, between the numbers and go let them make plays. And so I'm very interested... You know, we've, we've mentioned like what seven or eight guys now who could feasibly be pretty substantial parts of the passing game, and I think if I'm a San Jose State fan, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, if those guys can be, I don't expect the tight ends to be like of a big presence, but if that's what their game plan is, they'll, I don't think they're going to shy away too much from it just because they're new and young guys. So I think it's going to be. It might be less, but they're still going to give them the ball. They're not going to go away from the offense because they're young they might get a few less opportunities to pass to them just because of whatever the route wasn't run properly or something, just because they're young and inexperienced to a degree. But with his track record, there should be no reason that it should be ignored. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I mean, I mean, you say you don't expect them to, and just b- based off of history, I kind of do like Brent, Brent, how long has Brent Brennan been there? Was it since 2016 or 2017? Uh, let me find out real quick. It's 2017. I went and I looked it up. So just to to run through this real quickly by years, you know, in in 2017, Oliver had 35 catches, second most on the team. 2018, he had 56. That was number one on the team. 2019, you know, it was a little more of a a split time between Brett Foley and Deese Jr., but those two combined, plus Billy Humphreys, 50, I believe if the math is correct, uh, 51 catches altogether. 2020, of course, shortened year, uh, you know, but Deese Jr. had 20 catches, two and a half receptions per game. Last year, and, and you know, we already know this, led the team in receptions with 47. So I absolutely expect that's, that Mazzotti and Olsen are going to have a lot bigger years than a lot of people are expecting. They might. I just, man, I'm not, I still think of Derek Deese, John, All, Josh Oliver, years coming, but that's uh, maybe I'm just thinking of them being young. I think they might surprise you. That's good if they do. I just kind of thinking newer guys, first time starters, maybe they will. That'd be awesome if they could go out and have 50 catches as a tight end. We'll see. So let's go to running back position here. They have uh, Kyrie Robertson, who is um, is he true? Is he really only a sophomore? What what's his deal here? No, he's he, he's listed on the roster as a senior now. Phil Steele says a sophomore. I did I just said mentioned him on Twitter and said, hey Phil, you have to incorrectly. That's how yeah. I figure. I'm like, there's no way. Maybe it was a I'm typo. Like, <laughs> he could have a couple of those. I look at him like I just happen to have their page open here, going through a couple of things. I'm like, that can't be right because I know he's been around because we've discussed Kyrie Robinson forever. Because we always keep saying one of these days he's going to be really good. And Matt, is this the year he's going to be really good? Because he's just been underwhelming for what we maybe it's I don't know. He just seems underwhelming the past couple of years what they have because he'll show random games where he does good. But last year he only had what 280 yards rushing. He wasn't that good last year. 
but he wasn't a starter, but it's like, he's been on long enough where it's like, is he going to take that step at some point? He he's a pass catcher, which is another, which makes him more valuable as well. But I just want him to be like his four and a half yards per carry average is not good enough. If he's going to be this guy this year and get like triple, almost a well over a hundred carries this year. Well, so the one opportunity he really got as a runner last year was against Hawaii early in the season. It was their, 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 I believe their conference opener. And he had 21 carries for 55 yards in that game. Yeah, that's not good enough. I I mean, I want to believe that he could take a step forward with a larger workload, but it, it might also be that, you know, with, you know, with an offense that is likely to throw the ball a little bit more, that you know they may not need him to take on the same kind of role that, for instance, Tyler Nevins did. Like you know, maybe they don't necessarily envision having a running back, you know, take on 15 carries per game because you know in, in the early in throughout most years of the Brennan regime, like that hasn't really been the case. Like you know, in 2019, you know, Dejon Packer was their leading rusher, but he only had 10 and a half attempts per game. When they won the conference championship two years ago, you know, they had like, you know, Nevins and Robinson and combined, they had 18 yards, or excuse me, 18 attempts per game. Nevins had, you know, eight and a quarter and Robinson had 10 and a quarter. And I'm sort of in, I'm sort of wondering if they might go back in that direction, in which case the question becomes, you know, is, is not, is Robinson going to be sort of a workhorse back, but who's going to step up and sort of take on some of that workload with him? You know, is it going to be someone like Shamar Garrett, who, you know, he's, you know, flashed it at certain times as a runner, but might be more valuable as a returner? Or, you know, is it going to be someone that's a, that was, has typically been a little further down the depth chart over the last couple of years, like a Kenyon Sims? Or is it going to be one of the incoming freshmen that's coming in? You know, is it, it could a true freshman really sort of make waves? You know, and I look at guys like, for instance, you know, Camden McWright, who comes in from, yeah, Silmar, California, St. Genevieve High School. As a senior last year, high school senior ran for 1,667 yards. So, you know, maybe he's an option. You know, 61190 seems like he would fit the bill. You know, or conversely, maybe if you're looking for sort of a bigger Nevins type back, you might turn to someone like Jacob Galloway, another true freshman from Banning High School down in Carson. He ran for 1,339 yards as a high school senior last year. So, I don't necessarily think that they're going to focus on one guy. I think what they're probably trying to work to do throughout fall camp, what we'll see throughout the year, is some kind of committee that they can rely upon while they're throwing different looks, you know, with the pass first offense first and foremost. Yeah, I think that might be a good good idea. I think the way Robertson might be, like you mentioned, a pass. Like we mentioned the first and second down, or you did earlier about their rush rate last year. It's probably gonna be multiple guys because unless I don't see Kyrie coming out and being a guy where he has 18 carries a game, mm-hmm. I don't. That's almost 200, even 15. But I think where he's valuable is that he had 21 catches last year, which is pretty solid for 160 yards for a running back. That's like two, almost two a game. If he can keep that up, have a couple, few more catches here, get him involved in different ways to make it like, oh, it's kind of like handoff where it's like that, not necessarily shovel pass, but kind of like the swing pass or something. A screen type play. That's another way to get him involved differently if he's not running well. Because he's like he's fine, but he, like he said, they're these young guys, and he does. Robertson doesn't excite me in any way. His passing potential does leave him to be a bit more valuable than the others. But they got to have 
some sort of running game, they can't just pass all the time. That's not going <clears> to <throat> be, that's not going to go well. They got to have one of these guys, young guys, Robertson, somebody where they're getting closer to five yards of carry. If they split it up between three guys where it's like 12, eight, and six carries, that's fine. Go with it. Just find who's good and go with it. And Robinson's going to be the lead guy. He'll get the first chance versus Portland State versus Auburn when they play Wyoming early on. Those are, he will be the guy, but we'll see what they are. We'll Western Michigan, we'll see what they can do. But I just, this is probably the weakest area on offense. And yeah, that's all. It, it's not mm-hmm. ideal at the moment. There's potential, but it's not there. Now, see, I don't know if I would agree with that Why because, all, <laughs> because all of this discussion is sort of moot if the offensive line can't get back to the form that it had two years ago. You think it's going to be that bad? Or you don't, you don't trust I, I, I mean, it's, it's sort of an open-ended question because, you know, that was, it was really one of their strengths two years ago where it was a very, you know, veteran-laden offensive line that knew exactly what to do and really helped Starkle thrive. But, you know, last year, by contrast, for instance, you know, we talked about the running game, not necessarily giving them all that much, you know, you can, you compare, for instance, you know, yeah, they were fifth in the conference on a per carry basis. They averaged, you know, without adjusting for sacks, a little over four yards of carry as a team. Um, But at the same time, you know, by line yards per carry, for instance, they were 104th in the country. You know, by power success rate, so those short yardage situations, they were 124th, 50% success in those situations. So it's basically a coin flip with like one yard to go, basically. Um, okay. You know, overall stuff rate allowed 24.2%. That was 126th in the country. And then on top of that, I think the most important thing is that their sack rate allowed more than doubled from two years ago. Okay. Where, you know, in 2020, it was basically one of the best pass protecting units anywhere in the country, 2.2%. Last year, it jumps to 5.6%. And granted, I'm going to put this in the appropriate context. Good. That was still in the top 50 overall. It was still 42nd. But, you know, now they face the task of, of trying to at least maintain that same level of performance, if not improve, while also replacing three starters. Um, because, you know, Jamie Navarro is back, Tyler Stevens is back, but, you know, we mentioned Jack Snyder earlier, he's gone, Tyler Ostrom's gone, Jesse Chamberlain retired. So to harken back just to what I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast about, you know, now we're going to find out, you know, exactly what the recruiting efforts uh, are going to look like, how they've paid off. I think we're going to see that more with this offensive line than anywhere else on the offense. Because you're looking at, you know, sort of, you know, younger guys like you, like a Fernando Carmona, Richard Freshman. Uh, there could be transfers that step up into the rotation, like James McNorton came in from Washington State, Malik Williams in from Wyoming, uh, Marist Talibu in from, from Utah. You know, and, and, and in between those sort of two groups, sort of your up-and-comers and your transfers, you've got guys who saw sort of partial playing time last year moving into more prominent roles or guys who had a handful of starts you know, case in point, like Anthony Pardue, I believe, had four starts last year. But uh, he's going to be expected to do more as well. So, you know, it's nice to sort of envision the, the Spartans offense firing on all cylinders. But it is just as easy to envision that this offense could be inconsistent again if it doesn't provide reliable protection, you know, on most downs. Clearly, no, that, yeah, that's... It all starts up front. It's cliche football. Like, if you can block, that'll be great. And that will, 
Yeah, it's going to be an area where with the guys retiring, losing talent they've had. But I think with Cordier and his scrambling ability, that might offset it just a little bit if they're not ideal. But I also – you don't want to see – I don't think – I think Brent Brennan would be pulling his hair out if his broken plays are the place where – we've seen what happened to Hawaii when Cordero runs out to the side and tries to sling it like Cole McDonald in the window that's basically shut and he tries to still go through the keyhole there. <laughs> He's not as bad as Cole yeah, McDonald I mean, was, but you don't want – I don't think Brennan wants like the offensive line to break down more often. You'd rather have your quarterback sit there, obviously, sit back there, look who's open, one, two, three, read, four, read possibly. But I think it could – it's an asset to have Cordero – his scrambling ability, but you don't want to rely on that more often than they have to. The offensive line does need to step up and have these newer guys, the rotation, whatever it may be, come in and just do their thing and block their guys and knock guys in their butt. Like let's let's put it like this. Last year by SP Plus, the Spartans offense was 102nd nationally. You know, uh, by points per drive, which I think was when I was doing my research was sort of the most shocking thing of all, they, they were 119th. They only averaged 1.39 points per drive. Uh, and then in terms of available yards percentage earned, they were 121st. I don't think that they're going to be that bad again. But I think the offensive line is going to play the biggest role in just how much they bounce back. Yeah, no, it makes no sense because if it's terrible and they're running for their lives, you're screwed. It's like that's the basis of football. Block the guy in front of you to allow your yeah. guy to pass, throw, or run the ball. So so what's your confidence level? You seem to be a little pessimistic on their offensive line. I'm, I'm, I, 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 so I mean, if we're talking on a scale I don't want to put you in a quarter. Sorry, sorry to put you in a quarter. No, I mean, if, we're, if, I, if I'm putting it on a one to ten, I'm, I'll, I guess I'll give it a seven because that's I think really – you know, because I, I I believe in the staff. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, as we should. But it but it is sort of like their their biggest challenge to date. I would say too. No, that that, that makes total sense. So, all right, let's go to defense, Sim, which is an area of frustration for me from last year to twenty twenty. Because twenty twenty, what was that? You think so? Well, they weren't that good last year, right? I mean, it depends on how you look at it. I oh, mean, okay. <laughs> let me put it this way: their star players did not play to what we thought they would have in twenty twenty one. Well, you don't, you don't think so? Eh, maybe, be maybe not some of them. I, I'm just saying, like but, overall, okay, twenty twenty was a you and I, you and I are going to have a very interesting conversation right now. I think <laughs> because I'm I, just, I, I'm, I'm just going to say up front that I disagree, but I'm going to let you continue before I say anything. I'm just saying, star like twenty. Okay, let me get my point. Twenty twenty was especially year. We can all agree. Everything, no injuries. They played well. I'm not. I don't. It might make me sound like, oh, they're a team that just because of the COVID year, they. No, you've, we've already explained multiple times last year, this year, how how bad they're being opponents. They weren't winning by four points here, three points here. What would you, was it, every victory is by ten or more points last year? Is that right? or twenty twenty? Uh, two years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was not a fluke. Maybe, I mean, am I asking too much for them basically having one of the best defenses in the conference in 2020 to be in 2021 where it was, I don't know, I guess maybe arguably better. Here's I like, okay, maybe I'm talking myself incorrectly here, but I want their star players, Kate Hall and these guys to play better. And we had guys that preseason player of the year, like did not live up to their hype from last year, from 2020. So maybe I'm nitpicking about where they have this talent all over the field and overall, 
maybe I don't know. I'm just maybe I'm jaded by the win loss record, and you're just gonna convince Gronk because I know they have like they lose Kyle Harmon, right? He's gone, correct? No, he's he's back. I I need okay. Here's what I need here, Matt. I'm, some of these things I'm doing research and stuff. Is it fair to say New Mexico has like the best roster? How they print out and everything with all their symbols and numbers and asterisks, whatever. Yes. Um, I need other websites to start doing the same because for some reason I thought Kyle Harmon was gone. So maybe that changes quite a bit of my stuff here. Even though I know. Can, he's can we call? Back. Can we call it the? Can we call it the official team websites put everything in roster view grid form challenge? Yes, something like that because. I'm doing research. I'm like, I, I know Kyle Harmon's back, but I'm, I'm scrolling through CFB staff for a quick to make some point here. That's likely blown up in the water because he is back. And for some reason, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm saying his name. I'm like, oh, he's a senior last year. I'm like, no, he's back. What's going on here? So that's a mistake on me for not doing my research as well as I should have deep diving, like whatever it's, it happens. People make mistakes. It's okay. I just, I don't know, man. I just, it just, is it wrong to say I have a feeling about something not going well? Does that tangentially transfer to on the field? I'm like, it didn't seem as good last year, despite it being pretty close. Is that so, the thing? Okay. Does that mean so, just make an excuse from last year from wanting excellence so, from this team? I'm going to try and I'm, so I'm going to try and reframe this for you. You can so say you I'm wrong. That's talk- okay. You can say I'm wrong. That's okay. <laughs> no, I mean it's a difference of opinion. I'm not going to say that you're wrong, but here's what I will say. You know how we talked a lot last year about New Mexico's offense trying to drag the, or excuse me, they're trying to drag the the Lobos defense, trying to drag the offense as far as they possibly could. Yeah. And how we sort of talked about it in similar ways with, you know, Boise State's sort of underwhelming offense outside of, you know, Khalil Shakir, you know, sort of weighing down a little bit, maybe not in the same kind of way as, as that was happening in Albuquerque, but, you know, the defense was very clearly ahead of the offense. Yeah. Same kind of situation happened in San Jose last year, where even despite, you know, the offensive woes, like a lot of those, so, you know, a lot of those advanced metrics that just mentioned a minute ago where the Spartans were in the triple digits on offense. Oh, yeah. They were probably a little better than you might realize on defense. Maybe. So here's to start, here's to, here's, here, hold on real quick. Here's what I'm thinking I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just focused on Kate Hall, who took a big, who took a sizable step back from 2020 to 21. Because... I, I don't know why I'm focusing on him. Maybe because he was our player of the year. And, but he also wasn't terrible last year. So maybe that's where I'm focusing too much on one guy. Because their defense is – and I never said they were bad last year or that they're going to be bad this year. But I'll let you finish your point and I'll get back into it. So they so in some respects, they were actually better. They were actually closer to average than good. So like you know what I just mentioned a few minutes ago about the offensive line – about line yards per carry and things like that. You know, by a lot of those same measures, defense was a lot closer to average than good or bad. You know, but line yards per carry, for instance, they were 72nd. Opportunity rate allowed, 71st. Team sack rate, um, 77th overall, 6.3%. So, you know, okay, but not great. 80, 81st by stuff rate. So I think that's sort of to your point where there could have been more done. But at the same time, they were still second in the conference in yards per play allowed, 5.14. They were second in the conference in passes defended, despite the fact that they also had the fewest interceptions, which is not an easy thing to do, because that usually one usually correlates with the other. 
by defensive SP plus, they were 56th overall. By defensive points per drive, they were in the top 50. They were 48. By available yards percentage allowed, they were 56th. So they were actually a you know pretty well above average by some you know, by some of those other same advanced metrics. And so I think if you're a Spartans fan looking for good news. I'm of the opinion the defense looks like it could be as good as it was last year, if not better, because some of those things seem like they're likely to regress in a positive way on the side of the ball. And and even if some of them don't, like there is enough returning experience coming back that I think they're starting from a good position that they should be able to at least hold on to a lot of the games that they made last year on defense. Could be because they have guys like Noah Wright, Valemi Fajoko, Cade Hall, Kyle Harmon, who I apparently snubbed. Sorry, apologies to Harmon and their family out there. But their front's going to be really good. I think they believe, returned back, was it seven starters last year? I believe that's coming back. Yeah. I'm correct on Derek Godem's defense. And it's also should be noted, they play similar defense. Everybody's copied Rocky Long, Bronco Mendelhall, Gary Patterson, that 3 3 5 basically comes from Rocky Long. So they have like their flex player out there, like what JL Skinner and other guys do for these teams for the conference. And yeah, I mean, I think they're, I think their base is a three, four, but they tend to play with a lot of five defensive backlogs. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a flex defense. And that's why it's interesting not to go off too much to NFL where it's like all these guys, like who are the flex, that flex position or safeties NFL, because they're just big enough and they make, make noise, but the guys that are turning back, it's, but you're right, like looking through and your explanation is a bit better than me, like they're dragging them through. Had their offense been just a little bit better, they'd have won like eight games last year, possibly. They just had yeah, injury, probably. Injury, injury issues and injury the quarterback, obviously, Nick Starkle being gone. It's a pretty big deal. So what about their secondary? What do you think about that particular position of this of this unit? Oh, I wasn't t- I wasn't done talking about the front seven yet. Oh, keep going then. You got more. Bring well, it because, on. It's because it's easy, it's easy to talk about the star power. And I think it's worth mentioning too. Like I mentioned that their like their stuff rate, for instance, was maybe not what you thought it might have been, sixteen point eight percent. When you compare that to their championship run in twenty twenty, it actually wasn't that much different. You know, they were sixty first by that metric in in twenty twenty, seventeen point nine percent. So you're talking about the difference of one percent, basically, in terms of their overall stuff rate. I think the big difference was that their pass rush wasn't quite as strong. So, like, in particular, two years ago, their sack rate was 8.2%. That was 19th in the country. So when I say that, you know, they fell off in in some regards or were were closer to average in some regards, I think the pass rush in particular is one of those things that could rebound. So, you know, I know that you were sort of fixated on Hall, but what I think you're overlooking is that they started developing other guys that could potentially step up and continue making more of a difference into the future. Case in point, Someone like Trey Smith, who, you know, played in 10 games, was a freshman last year, you know, but he had five TF, five, excuse me, five and a half TFLs in, in three sacks in, in, in part-time duty. You know, granted, you know, with Fahoko and Hall, like pretty much entrenched in the starting lineup, like he's probably not going to be written into the, in, into the starting line 11 many times this year, but he's one of those rotation guys that they didn't necessarily have two years ago. You know, same thing with a guy like at linebacker Ali Matal, who, it was an honorable mention, if I'm not mistaken, last year, 51 tackles, five and a half TFLs, and three sacks. Uh, you know, beyond them, you know, Noah Wright was a solid contributor on the inside, you know, defensive tackle, you know, five and a half tackles. So, like, you look down the line, and, yeah, maybe Hall fell off a little bit in terms of how much havoc he created. 
but as a team, they were right around the same kind of level of production. It just looked a little bit different because it wasn't so top heavy. You know, I haven't even mentioned like other guys who were sort of, you know, playing smaller roles, you know, guys like Sawani Toya, uh, you know, Lando Gray, like, you know, that, that trio on the interior, Gray, um, uh, right. And then also Jake Akiva. That's a, like, it may not be a group with any all conference performers, but they are all pretty solid. And now the Spartans have three or four guys who can attack the edges too, which is more than I think you would have been able to say like two years ago, even. And so I think that, like I said, the trick for them now is to just sort of bolster their, 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 their pass rush a little bit more because, and I think it's a fair point that you're mentioning, you know, Pahoko and Hall were the only two guys last year with more than four sacks. So yeah. if they can get more from some of those, you know, sort of role players like Smith, like Toya, you know, like Matau, then I think that they're going to be in good shape in the long run. It's just one of those things that, you know, it's hard to predict, but I think if they can do it, it's going to make them a lot better than people would realize. Yeah, it's uh, the depth is there, and maybe Hall comes back or some other guys step up. But I think, yeah, the depth of new guys. I think overall, it's maybe that's what I was looking at for some reason to him too much. But the, if if it's here's the thing, if it's spread around more, that means they can't focus on one or two guys. Because yeah, let's say Fahoko or Hall or somebody has like twelve sacks or something, but if that's all you have and you have like 18 as a team, but if you get four or five from all these different guys, then you can't focus and double on a guy. And like with the amount of the guys they have up front are that good, their teams aren't going to be able to focus on one or two guys. They're just going to kind of play straight up essentially. And whatever their scheme is against the defense is going to have to be pretty good to stop the talent they have up front. And it may not be Hall, it may not be Foco, it may not be Harmon this week, but there's going to be guys where, it could be like a so, like, week essentially where it's like this guy's a big game and this the other guy does just because they're hot and teams are like, oh, this guy's good. This guy's good. We got we to gotta focus exactly. on the ball and it's hard to focus on all the guys all the time. Yeah. So like, you know, compare them, for example, to, you know, the UNLV defense, which we just talked about, you know, I believe in our last episode, you know, that defense was very top heavy in terms of, you know, who was actually creating the havoc last year. It was it was basically Jacoby Winman, Brennan Scott, and Adam Plant Jr. doing the lion's share of that work. You know, now Winman, of course, is at Michigan State. Brennan Scott's, you know, health status is up in the air. And then now, now they're searching for sort of established answers outside of Plant Jr. In the, in the meantime, that's not the case in San Jose. You know, San Jose has a lot more depth up front. And like, you know, we didn't even mention the other linebackers outside of, you know, Harmon and Matau. Like, you know, they've got three other guys, I think, at a minimum that have had some starting experience in the past. You know, your Jordan Cobbs, Dion Leonard, you know, Rico Tolfrey, Hadari, or I think Hadari Darda might have moved on, actually. But, you know, all of those guys were among those, you know, people who were, you know, contributing, if not necessarily at an all-conference type level. You know, you, re- you go down the line, you realize that San Jose State last year had 10 different guys with four TFLs. And without going from roster to roster, I would bet that there are a few teams in the conference that had a similar level of, of depth to the havoc that they were able to create last year. Probably right. Yeah. Like, like, like let's put it this way. You know, we talk about San Diego state being an elite defense. San Diego state didn't even manage that last year. They had eight guys with, with, with at least four TFLs. So there's a lot going on in that front seven beyond simply the star power that makes that should be able to make it go in 2022 that's sort of what i'm saying overall okay that makes sense 
So anything else you want to add to that front part? Are you ready to move on? Yeah, now I think we can talk about the secondary <laughs> because it's it's a really interesting unit. Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, despite the fact that they were second in the conference, and I believe only the Aztecs had more passes defended, they were also dead last in interceptions. Like they they had six interceptions that was tied for the fewest with Colorado State. As I mentioned earlier, I'll just say it again, that's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, very hard. And, but the good news is, you know, they've got, I think, two or three guys coming back from last year's secondary. I think the only major departure is Bobby Brown Jr., who, you know, the fact that he had, what, 12? No, he had, how many? 13 pass breakups last year. That won't be easy to replace. Definitely. But also, like, Kenyon Reed was pretty good in his own right, too. You know, he's he was valuable as both a cornerback and a kick returner last year. So it would not necessarily shock me to see him step up and to see that secondary be just fine. You know, they have you well, know Nehemiah Shelton, Shelton coming Shelton back. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had 10 pass breakups. Couple you know, Trey Jenkins is sort of still sort of a reliable run stopper at the safety position. Definitely. So like that's a pretty good foundation. And then they've also got two or three other guys who started seeing more part-time duty as well. In the defensive in, in the defensive backfield, you know your uh, your Malik Greers, um, or Mikhail Greer, excuse me, uh, Zavion Reese, Trey White is still around. So again, it might not be like the the unit with a lot of top end talent, but I would also contend that it is probably not a unit with a lot of weak links in it either. No, and the, some, the only slight concern some of their backups are younger guys at safety and positions, where yeah. like fresh. That's only slight concern. I know you mentioned uh, there's a Trey, uh, not like a Trey Wright. He's been around for a bit, but other positions are red for freshmen, freshmen, true freshmen. So it's like you don't want to go too deep. They have like Kayvon Baptiste to be out there playing all that much. But mm-hmm. they have like, like you mentioned, yeah, lose Brown. But when you go back to like Shelton and Trey and everything, those guys back there, they're going to. Here's the thing the secondary signals they stay, even when they were, it's kind of funny. We talked about when they were really bad a couple years ago. The pass defense has always been really good. And I know they threw the few, because part of it was the rush defense was so bad where they just run at will. And so they literally would give up like a hundred yards per, per game because teams wouldn't pass very much. But when you go back and look at what they're doing percentage wise, like completion percent, like a completion percentage or yards per play allowed or yards per play attempt, the secondary was always really good. And it wasn't just, Oh, we're looking at pure numbers when they don't throw, when they were throwing, they were still successful when their team wasn't good at all. And this is kind of continuing that trend under Brennan and even before where they had uh, trying to think of the guys with the Panthers now from a couple years ago, but they've had guys drafting the NFL at this position. They're all, they now to the point where the rush defense, we, we went, look how much time we spent in the front seven and not laughing or joking about the terrible rushing defense Spartans have, because it's been at least three seasons, four, three and a half seasons that they've been that bad. I think during 2019, they kind of, they started getting a bit better, but clearly 2020, 2021, and so with their rush deep front seven being more stout and arguably the best part of the unit, the, the front seven guys get the QB, TFL, sacks from everybody. Secondary, if they are taking a step back, it's still overall going quite well for who they have despite losing a certain, certain couple of guys like Brown the second or Brown Jr. from last year. Yeah, I mean, the, the number one thing is can they be more opportunistic? I think the yeah, second the big thing – is can they be a little less bendy in pass defense too? Because on the one hand, you know, in terms of like yards per attempt, they were still fourth in the conference last year. 
So just, so in spite of like not picking off a lot of passes, despite getting hands on a lot of passes, you know, the fact that they were able to do that, that's like a good sign. You know, 6.9 yards per attempt is pretty good. It was like, it was better than Fresno State, let's put it that way. Um, and better than Boise as well. I think the big difference between those two is that they also gave up the second worst completion rate in the conference, 62.7. So like I said, so if they can hold on to the first while improving the second, that's another one of those little things that's going to make this defense that much better in 2022. And I think that they've got sort of the, the veteran capacity to be able to do that. Yeah. And then also look who they play for this year. Like when they play CSU, they play Utah State. Look at the teams are passing. Fresno State. Teams are going to want to sling the ball. So they'll be challenged in all these games. Hawaii will want to pass mm-hmm. the ball quite a bit too. So anything else about the defense or should we move on to their special teams with their punter, kicker, and those type of guys? Yeah, I think we could probably move on. That's good. All right. So punter, I assume it's going to be Travis Benham, correct? That's what, even though he didn't play recently? Uh, well, they do have two punters on the roster now. Uh, they updated it recently. So it's going to be either Benham or it's going to be Alex Weir, who's a freshman from Sacramento Community College. Either way, though, sort of a sort of a surprisingly big shoes to fill with Will Hart, who, you know, that that particular element of the game had been a real Achilles heel for this for this team for I'd say most of Brennan's tenure, to be honest. And then, you know, while he wasn't necessarily on the same sort of like Ariza Stonehouse level, he, he was still fourth in the conference last year, averaging over 44 yards a punt. So you know, that's one thing they're going to have to deal with. The other thing is, too, is like Matthew Mercurio left the program. He transferred to Villanova. And the only person they have on the on the roster right now is Taryn Shive, who, you know, handled kickoff duties mostly last year, did have a touchback rate of over 50%. It was 51.9. That was fifth in the Mountain West. So that sort of makes me think that he has the the leg to be able to sort of step into the job. But it's also one of those things where, you know, if we're not going to call it a red flag, it might be a yellow flag where special teams might take a step backwards this fall. Uh, at least in, at least on that front. Like the returners, both Shamar Garrett and Kenyon Reed, if, if they are still those primary kick returner and primary punt returner respectively, I think that element of the game is probably still in good shape. But um, on the whole, special teams is probably a mixed bag for this team. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. All right, we go ready to go schedule time. Let's do it. All right, they do. This is one of the few non-week zero mountainless teams. They start week one, September third. Portland State comes to town, and uh, Portland. Oh, my printer wants to print when I say Portland State. That's what we're looking at. So, what do you think about Portland State? You, you've been doing the FCS minute. What do you want to know about the Vikings? They're the Vikings, right? Is that or is that Portland? Uh, no, the the Portland is the pilots of town. That's I'm not correct. Portland That's University. What yeah, Portland, Portland State is, is the Vikings. Um, I know that bad. I know that it is. I know that it's the short. So short is spelled V I K S, but I didn't think to look up whether that was still pronounced Vikes or Vix. It's gotta be. It's anyway, the Vikings. Anyway, their big question heading into 2022 is: Are they ready to make a move in the big sky? That's tough because one. they've got some interesting individual pieces. But they also have some really big questions that they're going to have to answer. I think chief among them is that they have to replace their longtime quarterback, Davis Alexander, who might be the best quarterback in program history this side of Neil Lomax, who 
you know, if you're a longtime NFL fan, you remember him as, you know, the, the quarterback of the, what was it, the Phoenix Cardinals back in the 70s or something like that? Um, anyway, with the name, so. sorry. Portland State, <laughs> great. Let's put it that way. Ah, so yeah. they have to figure that out. But if they can, they do boast on offense one of the FCS levels, maybe more underrated receivers in Bo Kelly. 69 catches, 986 yards, and 10 touchdowns last year. Somehow that merited only a second-team all-conference selection. They also, also brought in Andrew Van Buren for the ground game. Oh, yeah. And, oh, Boise State. And on, yeah, and on defense, they've got some interesting pieces on all three levels of their on, – on all three levels of that unit, too. Like up front, they brought in, you know, EJ Ane, coincidentally, San Jose State transfer. Um, you know, they have a, they had a freshman linebacker last year, Parker McKenna, who had a very, you know, strong first season. He's probably a rising star as a sophomore. And then they also have Anthony Adams, who as a safety, I, he's, he's an all American caliber type dude on that level. So I don't think that San Jose State's going to be in any real danger of losing this game. But, you know, I would say that, it you know, while it may not be, like, the toughest FCS task, it is probably not also the easiest FCS task. Well, also, I think Portland State might be pretty good this year. They're set, look at the receiving stuff. Besides Bo Kelly, they bring four returning starters. Plus that, too. 20, plus All-America from 2019, Emmanuel Dodgeby is back after missing time, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yes. This is correct. Yeah, sorry. It says 2019. I'm like, we're in 2022. Is that a typo I'm looking at here? But he's back. So I guess he's all, all excuse me, not all American. I said all conference player. So their mm-hmm. se- secondary will be tested and it'll be good for that group to see who steps up. But it's a victory, correct? Yes. All right. So then they go to Auburn, which, hey, San Jose State going to SEC country. They all they do is get wins versus Arkansas and everybody else, right? When they head down there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's tempting to draw that parallel, but like this Auburn I, team on paper should be much better than our Arkansas team. Clearly, Auburn should be a quarterback. There just should be, but yeah. like you know, it, I don't think we need to rehash the entire mess from this offseason, do we? You mean the when he was hit in Mexico and tried not to get fired? I'm when I'm when I'm putting my thing when I'm putting my my index finger my thumb about two centimeters apart from each other to say that Brian Harson was this close. To get fired. Like, listen, split some do it. Like, it was a coup to get him out of town, right? Yeah. <laughs> if he doesn't win, like, if, if he doesn't win, like, eight games, he's fired. If they, if, okay, if Auburn loses this game, do they fire him? Oh, oh my goodness. Because I know they were, I know they were talking about Auburn, and I think that I forget who mentioned it. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly, but they were talking about, you know, if Auburn loses, like, their conference opener or something like that, would they fire Harson? And I put the and I made it. I said it mostly in jest. Oh, because they, they play Penn State the week after they play San Jose State. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, put, I said it mostly in jest, but also like partially serious. It's like okay, well, they got to pe- get past the Spartans first. You're not wrong because here's the thing: Auburn doesn't have a quarterback. Bo Nix, who wasn't even that great in Oregon, he's might not start looking at Zach Calzada from Texas A&M. Looking at like T.J. Finley, possibly. He started the who, final who, three by the way, recently year. got arrested for evading police. Oh, well, good luck with that. Um, and they have an Oregon transfer, possibly Robbie Ashford, potentially. But I don't know, man. Like, Auburn, did they, they don't scare. Like, here's the thing. Harson is – I'm not going to say he's not a good coach because they still went for two versus Alabama last year and blew it. 
They should have beat Alabama. He coaches poorly. And also the reason why if this game's even close, then nobody likes him either because he's like not doing things you're supposed to not to go rehab like a million different him off the field. Like Herschel Walker is a pretty big or no, that's Georgia. Now who's the Auburn guy who's really good? Whatever. Who who is the running back at Auburn years? Oh, you're talking about Tank Bixby. No, there's some golf tournament he said I'm not going to go to. Uh, who's there, yeah, like, yeah. I, I know it's not Herschel Walker. I don't know why he went to Georgia, but there is something like I'm not going to this golf tournament. I'm not doing this or that. So not not to go as off the field stuff, but if they if they lose to San Jose State, he he's gone. I think right. They're already paying Gus Malzahn his buyout. They're gonna have no problem paying him if they wanted him last year. So what's the worst? You mean loss? Eric Keesaw, an offensive coordinator again? And I don't know why he did that. He brought his Boise guys with them. Is he it did. Zach, a couple? Who else is there too? I know Keesaw. No, Zach. Uh, I believe uh, Je- Jeff Schmetting is the defensive coordinator too, if I'm not mistaken. So he brings those guys in from this year after getting rid of the other two in year one. He makes the joke about my guys take the stairs. I'm like, you're, he's like this hard ass old coach where it's like, it's funny because you look what he wants to do. And then you look at, um, oh, what school was it? I forget what school it was. It's, I was looking at recently where they wanted part. I, I just can't think of the school name, but basically they want a better parking. They don't want players to walk to practice. Oh, Billy Napier. That's what was in Florida. Like the parking is not great at the facility. They walk too much to get to practice because of it's not parking. It's not good. So now they have better parking. They they have buses to bring guys over from campus because it's a decent track. But Harson's look, my guys take the stairs. I'm like, don't you want to save your guys' energy and legs and use valuable steps and exert energy where it's better than walking upstairs? I'm like, mm-hmm. get over yourself, dude. It's like, I get what you're trying to do. It's like only injured players can use the elevator to like shame them because they're hurt. They can't walk up the stairs with like a broken foot or whatever knee or lower body extremity injury they have his coaching is okay but auburn is a team i don't trust them. like where are they at in the sec like they're not going to project the finish all that well i mean they, probably, they might go bowling i don't think they're going to threaten for the west division title or anything like that so yeah because you know Alabama, because they do, have, they do have Bigsby. They've, Texas got, A&M. Come on. they've got a couple of nice pieces on offense you know they um they have the the tight end that i forget his name john david Schenker, i believe his name is sure uh, and, and the defense might be legit. Like that front seven might actually be pretty good with guys like, you know, Derek Hall, who might just be a first round NFL draft pick next spring. They were Colby predicted Wooden. last in the West division. Last. I thought LSU was. That's surprising. Oh, am I looking right here? 2022. Yeah. In the media. Okay. Is this football, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They yeah, have, I mean, Alabama, they, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Ole Miss, LSU, Mississippi State, Auburn. It might be messy. But, um, I mean, I did pencil this in as a San Jose State loss, though, because I still think, even despite on paper looking like a mess, they probably still have the superior talent that should be able to hold off any kind of upset bid. The only team that get but, but I do, I, but I do expect that people will probably be calling him to fine bomb, you know, the following Monday or whatever, asking, oh! to, asking to fire him. If it's a four, if it's a less than 10 point victory, they're going to say, let's fire him, right? Yeah. That's that's sort of what I'm envisioning. Yeah. Yeah. They they do have King Bisbee, Bigsby. He's a first team preseason player. He is very no, good. He should, no. he also should not have stepped out of bounds in the Iron Bowl, but that's another thing. Oh, that too. And Harson going for two as well, right? He should have done that. Yeah. Defensively, they have nobody on the first team defense. And the, oh, no, sorry, Derek Derek Hall, excuse me, defensive lineman. They have a couple of guys like Colby Woodman. They have a handful of guys who could be like Owen Papeo or 
Papapo, I believe, and a linebacker. They, they have good – I want to predict the Spartans, but I'm not going to. But this would not be – like, uh, how spicy would this be if an upset of San Jose State were to win? It's 5.30 Mountain Time, 4.30 Pacific, probably an SEC network. How big of a deal would this be if Spartans beat San, uh, Auburn nationally? How spicy would this be? Honestly, this, I mean, wouldn't that be one of the biggest wins in San Jose State program history? Yeah, but I just mean – oh, most likely, probably I have to look and see, but it'd be up there. But this Especially, especially for the meltdown it would cost you know, on the planes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Auburn team might win four games this year. Yeah. I just don't – looking into Auburn, and I know they have some good talent, but no quarterback. Coaches is a complete mess. They're in a – they're not going in the right direction is easy to put it when they're predicted to barely be – better than Missouri. What's a worse loss for them, Spartans or Missouri? What would be worse? Probably. I mean, I think if, uh, objective, I mean, down there would probably be worse to lose to San Jose State than uh, Mizzou. You know that Midwestern team, the Southeastern Conference? Yeah. I, I have this loss, but I'm, I'm I'm saving some stuff for our, our big season preview, so stay tuned. Next game on okay. the schedule, I'll leave it there. Next game, because we're going to have some bold and stupid stuff later on Western Michigan after a bye week, the Western, the Broncos come all the way to a Sefku stadium. Is that how you say, is that the short term? Yes. Okay. It's just whatever. The Broncos come to San Jose, September 24th, a week off. So Broncos obviously in the Mac, they're reasonably good, but it's like all the Mac team is like, is it all gas and no brakes and offense, which is kind of yes, which could, yes. Make for an, which could make for a fun game, right? Yeah, it's also a, a revenge game for San Jose State. Oh, that's right. Was that what was it last year? I forget the final score. I think it was like it was uh, what was it? It was tw- uh, twenty three to three. Oh, here it is. Yeah, twenty three to three. They lost last year. That was the game where Starkle got hurt. Yeah, and they were a two point underdog and lose by twenty points. So they definitely want to have a revenge and shake your fist at a. It's not PJ Fleck, but whoever the coaches are now to beat them. Tim Lester. Tim Lester. Okay. I, I, I keep track of most coaches, right? And they, they might be catching Western Michigan at a good time, too, because, you know, they probably should have contended more for the MAC title last year than they did. And now they're sort of restarting without Caleb Elby, without Sky Moore. Um, you, know, mo- you know, a couple of their biggest offensive pieces. But that is not to say that the cover is totally bare. You know, the, the Broncos still have a running back duo in Sean Tyler. And Ladarius Jefferson, who last year combined for nearly 2,000 rushing yards, 1,986 to be exact. And that wasn't just for show either. Like they averaged nearly five and a half yards per carry, too. And they scored 19 combined touchdowns. So, like that duo is probably going to be one of the better running back tandems you'll find anywhere in the group of five, to be honest. You know, the, the bigger question for them is because they've had so much success in recent years with the passing game. You know, first of all, like who's going to step up and be the quarterback? I think the most likely candidate. Um, oh, shit, I don't have his name in front of me. I, I wrote it down in the article, and of course, I don't have the article in front of me. But you know, they need to replace their starting quarterback, Jack. So it's Jack Salapek, who was the primary backup last year. I'm glad I was able to flip to the right page in time. Um, <laughs> you know, replacing a lot of those targets in the passing game. But Corey Crooms, who averaged almost 15 yards of catches back. And and honestly, like you mentioned, the defense as being sort of like, you know, the, the unit that really <laughs> dragged them to a lot of track meets last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really not an exaggeration either. Like they gave up 
Uh, I'm just looking at some of the, the crappier teams. They gave up 45, they gave up 40 points to Akron last year. Yikes. That's embarrassing. They gave up, uh, you know, they gave up, oh man, I'm looking at some of these, some of these like wild lines. You know, they gave up, you know, 21, they played well sometimes on defense. They gave up 21 to Northern Illinois, 22 to Eastern Michigan, but then like they gave up 42 to Central Michigan, 34 to Toledo, 31 to Kent, 45 to Ball State. So like that side of the ball has a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to do it without, you know, again, like, you know, we talked about without some of their biggest, most disruptive pieces from last year. They've got a pretty decent linebacker duo in Zaire Barnes and Corbin Moment, who should be able to at least anchor the middle, in the middle of the defense. Last year, they had six combined sacks, 21 combined TFLs. And then they do have, you know, one solid corner, at least in Dorian Jackson, who had 12 pass breakups and a couple of interceptions. but. I mean, honestly, I don't know if they're going to have enough offense this time around to really keep up with San Jose. So I have this one as a Spartans win. I do as well for similar reasons. I think that the revenge factor, the defense being stepped up for San Jose State up front, Western Michigan losing the talent you mentioned. And also just for reference, West Division, they're predicted fourth, distant fourth, 56 points. Central Michigan was third at 112. Eastern Michigan is four points ahead of them. So basically – between four through six, separated by 14 point votes. And their point total was, let's see, one, two, fourth from the bottom out of 12. So basically nine of 12 point total overall. So I think this should be a win and probably a double, I'll say a double digit victory. Yeah, it sounds about right. All right. Then we, if you listen, we're getting to, let's go to the other non-conference game really quick. We've discussed the Mexico State quite a bit. Um, wait. Is it New Mexico State? Oh, hold on. My schedule's incorrect here. No. That is correct. It is New Mexico State. Okay. I need to redo my schedule because I think I put at New Mexico instead of New Mexico State there. So that's our final non-conference game, which is a couple weeks down the road. And we discussed the Aggies recently. Um, they're not very good. They have Jerry Kill, their new head coach, who's coming in from – he's a TCU assistant. He's in Minnesota for all doing pretty good things. At, was he NIU as well, Jerry Kill? Yes, back in the day. Was he their orange bowl, orange bowl coach in tw- back then? Uh, was that him or was that Rob Carey? I can't recall. Not, not, I think it was Rob Carey, but he's been around decent programs. He does have the health issues for seizures, so that's kind of why he stepped down to Minnesota, or was why he stepped down to Minnesota. He's been seizure-free for a while, but he's had a program where he's like a guy. It's like, I'm not saying he's cashing a check there, but you're not there to – he's there basically to go unnoticed and do less pressure, which is good for his health considerations. But overall, New Mexico State's one of the worst teams in FBS. They're independent. They're joining Conference USA football only, I believe, in a couple of years, maybe next year. So that might bring them some stability. But they're far, far, far away from a couple of years ago when they beat Utah State in the Arizona Bowl. Like when they have guys like Larry Rose and stuff running the ball, they don't have that type of talent anymore. And uh, this shouldn't be that close, should it, Matt? <laughs> It really shouldn't. I mean, I mean, we talked about them a couple times already. So if you're interested in hearing more, um, yeah, I would recommend wow, when did we talk about that? I'm trying to think now. Um because they played New Mexico. We haven't talked about New Mexico yet. And then they also now oh, trying oh, to find the spreadsheet. Just Nevada. And I think Hawaii I plays they, as well. 
And That's right. We talked about them with Nevada and Hawaii. Thank you for that. So if you want, yeah. so if you want to listen to the to our sort of rundown of the Aggies, you can go back and listen to the to sort of our non-conference takes on those games. But yeah, I have this one as a San Jose State win. The reason we're doing this, Matt, you know why we're not going through? Not because we talked about it before. We want people to download, listen to other shows as well. So go back there and listen go. to that. But but honestly, they're 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 not very good. They don't. They're just a team that's in the wilderness. Maybe when they join a conference, that'll be helpful. When they're playing like El Paso, every UTEP and stuff like that, but they're they're just kind of uh, out there on their own, and I don't see them pulling Idaho go to FCS. But let's get to conference play here. So their first conference play, their stretch is at Wyoming, UNLV at home, at Fresno State. And if you've listened to our other prior shows, you know my record I'm picking and your record as well. But out of that stretch, um, Fresno State's a no starter for me. That could be a very fun game, like. Excuse me. In that particular game, I could see a lot of points happening, but I still don't think they could beat Fresno State for the V Trophy. UNLV, they'll be fine against. They have a quarterback situation still replacing Charles Williams running running back there. Wyoming, it's kind of a toss up just because their defense, I think, can neutralize that offense. At or yeah, the Wyoming defense can neutralize a bit the Spartans' offense. So that that one's a toss up. I'm leaning toward a loss for San Jose State in that one. Yeah, I have them losing both of those road games at Wyoming and at Fresno State, but I have them beating UNLV at home. Wait, I put a loss for UNLV. I don't know if I said that, but I apologize. That's a victory for me. I don't know why I said that. I was doing my record before. But yeah, is there? what do you give the Fresno State chance? That could be. Is that a sneaky good game potentially this year? It should be better than last year's. Well, clearly, last year's. You can say that for San Jose State season. That's their motto. Can't, got it, can't be better, worse than last year. Yeah. <laughs> At least relatively speaking, which obviously would be a decent bark, relatively speaking. But five and seven last year, what record that game was 40 to nine, end of the season game. I don't think they're going to win, but I could see it being where Fresno State needs to put up at least 35 points minimum to win that game. Is that yeah, I think you're probably right about that. And then they have then the next part of the schedule. It's it, There's no real tough back to back games. The last stretch is kind of difficult. Nevada at CSU. They're both at home. I have both of those as a victory. Can you convince me to pick a Rams, a Rams, a Rams, excuse me, Rams to defeat San Jose State in that matchup? Well, I mean, I had I have San Jose State winning this matchup. Me too, a lot. I mean, the Rams. I, I have been winning both of the. Do you, can we? Can you make a case, or I can make the case to like Rams can get that win because it's at home. It's better coach than Jane Norvell. A new quarterback. We don't know about Clay Millen what he's doing, but. I think it just I comes just, down to winning a shootout, basically. You think so? Okay, so is that your? I know we mentioned a good defense for San Jose State, but you think most, like out of these games, shootouts like Fresno's probably gonna be a shootout. Uh, you say CSU, possibly Utah State. Is that because of the defense or just who they're playing? I, just I think it's more. I think it's more of the offenses that they play against than anything that's wrong with the San Jose State defense. That makes sense. Like they said, to break through, eventually they'll break through. Yeah. Even with Hawaii, they might put up points against Hawaii, but that's a victory for me as well. But the mm-hmm. other schedule, Nevada CSU wins. Nevada, again, they're, I don't get where people, somebody put on a Twitter feed like, oh, they can, here's five wins, maybe six. I'm like, my win, win-loss win projection for Nevada might be two. I'm going to see what I put here really quick before I move on here. I have them at four and eight, and that might be way too high. <laughs> I just, yeah, I mean, I I mean Nevada's definitely a team. That, I mean, they have some nice pieces in place you know but i think what might hold them back this year in particular is just you know not having enough 
you know, havoc potential in the front seven. Well, they also lost their offensive lineman. What's his, um, shoot. Um, oh, who was it? Uh, I can't think of I think, it, like I said, I think it's more the defense that might hold the Wolfpack back than the offense this year, which is why I think San Jose State has the advantage in that matchup. I think, yeah, besides Don Peterson, they don't have a ton. So you have that game. I have that game as a victory as well for San Jose State. Then the final two of the three at San Diego State, at Utah State, they're not winning either of those. Those are tough games. I could, Utah State's a better chance, I think, but going on the road back to back weeks, I don't think they can get both of those done. I just don't think they're back to 20. They're not going to be as good as they were in 2020. With the San Diego State game, the way in that one, how it could work, because again, the past couple of years, even when the Spartans weren't very good, they were. They always give the Aztecs a tough challenge. And this is a true home game at Snapdragon for San Diego State, so it's not playing in Carson or even up in San Jose. I have the Aztecs winning because I think they have one, they'll have one of the legit defenses that could shut down the Spartans' offense. I just don't know if it'll be a – like, it won't be a lot of points because Aztecs' offense, new running back, new quarterback. Yeah, they have – or sorry, Jesse Matthews catching the ball and a few others potentially. I think it'll be a low-scoring game, like first to 20 in that game, because I think the Spartans' offense could break through eventually because they typically will. But Aztecs, I think, have way too much defensively. So you think it'd be like last year's game? Well, last year's game was, let's see, uh, 13. It was like in triple overtime. Oh, I didn't even know. I know it's 19 to 13. Yeah, I can see something like that, first to 21. Yeah, yeah, okay. I can see that. What about, do you have a better chance for Utah State? that they could get the win? I think so. If only because, you know, Utah State's sort of lingering question is is whether they'll be able to generate as much of a pass rush as they did down the stretch last year, which is not to say that they don't have the capacity to do so. It's that they're simply replacing a lot of last year's production, and that may not necessarily be a given. But I, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, I have the I have San Jose State losing both of those games on the road. So I have the Aztecs and the Aggies both winning at home. The one about Hawaii. Um, I have San Jose State beating Hawaii, and I'm I'm looking at my spreadsheet. And I'm realizing I have San Jose State going undefeated at home this year. Um, hey, guess what? So do I. It's a pretty <laughs> doable home schedule when you when you really look at it. Yeah, Portland State, Western Michigan, UNLV, Nevada, Colorado State, Hawaii. Out of that group, who's the toughest? Is it CSU? Yeah, I would say on paper. And the, the road schedule, obviously brutal. Auburn, Wyoming, Fresno. What about who cares about Las Cruces? But Aztecs, Aggies. I have them at seven and five. Ooh, that's better than I thought it would be. I didn't think I'd have them that high. Yeah, I have and them seven and five, then I have them four and four in conference. Okay. I think that's reasonable because their schedule, it's there's nothing outside of Aztecs, Utah State back. I guess the CSU game included, if you want to include that, that three game stretch is fairly difficult. But overall, Western Michigan, yeah, they're okay. Even Auburn, they're like, they probably won't win, but they're going to give one heck of a scare to Auburn there down in, in whatever in Jordan Hare Stadium. Like, there's not a, would not shock me if they go in there and beat them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be overly surprised by that game. But yeah, seven to five, going to a bowl game. Maybe I need to update my bowl projections because I don't think I put the Spartans in my initial ones from a couple weeks ago. But anything, oh, do we have any questions we didn't get? So I know we had a handful coming through. Are we good on those? I think we pretty much covered them in some way, shape, or form. Here's here's a question I have for you before we wrap up, though. What do you got? Because we talked at the very beginning about how San Jose State may not be any anybody's idea of a front runner for the conference title. 
-hmm. How many of those road games do you think they have to win at a minimum to win the West Division? Ooh, win the West Division. So I think to win the West, you can do it with two losses. Because I think Fresno and San Diego State, I got, we got to have their schedule in front of me. I think you would need a minimum of two losses, or excuse me, maximum of two losses. You have to beat Fresno or San Diego State. You, have, you can't lose to both of those. So in this scenario, for the road games, they'd have to beat Wyoming, which they could win. That's not too far-fetched. Um, and then have to beat Fresno or San Diego State. So what's that? Whoa, two... Co- Two comp, two road, two road losses, and they have to be, and those are the conference ones. So I think they, if they were six and two, that would get them in there. That that potentially could get them to win the West Division or have some sort of tiebreaker. But mm-hmm. you, have, you have to be Fresno State in one of those, and or excuse me, Fresno or San Diego State has to be a division game because those matter for tiebreakers. And then Wyoming's the next one in line where I could see them winning. But they yeah, have to I was just, them. I was just curious. I think that I would tend to agree because I think in that case. What you're talking about is a situation where they beat one of those teams, but then they get help from elsewhere to sort of win the division that way. Or, honestly, they they could go one loss and be by beating Wyoming and Utah State. I still think they'd have to beat a, the West Division team since we're still in divisions this year. So, mm-hmm. they, yeah, there's two options. Yeah, they just have two losses. One has to be versus, the, obviously, West team, Fresno, San Diego State, or just have one loss and beat Utah State. But do I don't know if they're there to do all of that because I'd put them at nine and three. If yeah. they go that route where they have one league loss and it's only to Fresno or San Diego State. But that is that your similar path, you think? Two loss max? I think so. It has to be a West Division. It has to be with those teams as well. Okay. Yeah, so you're seven to five. I'm seven to five. They're going bowling this year, it's what it seems like. All right, so we have one more preview this week. We're gonna cram a bunch in because I've had been I've been moving. I've been sick. I was out of town. So apologies that these are like, why is there not a podcast 17 days from the last one? Well, I'm sorry. Blame me. But we'll be doing New Mexico this week. We'll be doing our mega giant preview where we'll put in some, play some fun games, bring out some hot takes, bring out uh, any news we've missed during fall camp because we're kind of keeping these mostly generic for the season wide type of stuff since some of these were done back in late May. But we have now, we're two weeks away from the opener, week zero, full-fledged week one, week after that. So just go to mwr.com, follow our top 50 countdown. We're getting close. Where are we at, Matt, about today? About top 15? Is that somewhere in that range? Uh, yeah, I'm going to try and crank out the rest of them by the end of the week. Okay, so look for that and then complain to us on Twitter at MWCWire about why your players rank too low. And uh, But yeah, we got everything coming up here. Preseason in the books, just about. mwr.com, subscribe to our podcast and what else we got? Not football season, essentially, right? Can we say it's football season now? Is that okay? I mean, fall camp is underway. It is football season. We've right. made it just about, almost. We'll get there very shortly. So that's it for this time. And just, uh, yeah, check us out next time for the podcast. And if you missed it, or excuse me, missed any of our other previews, go back and listen, and I'll be good. Get ready for the season.